The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, as well as the money changers seated there. He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and the oxen, and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables, so that those who sold doves, he said, take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples recalled the words of scripture, zeal for your house will consume me. At this, the Jews answered and said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, This temple has been under construction for forty-six years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, And they came to believe the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. While he was in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, many began to believe in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus would not trust himself to them, because he knew them all, and did not need anyone to testify about human nature. He himself understood it well. The Gospel of the Lord. In the early part of the 20th century, there was a characteristic that was present in the life of the church of the Lord and his members of a sort of fierceness, of a harshness. Oftentimes, God characterized as the one who's just waiting for you to mess up so he can come and he can finally get you. He can, he can strike you down. Huh? That the Lord is angry at us. He doesn't really want us to do good things in a certain sense. He's just looking for us, looking for a way to punish us. It was characterized oftentimes in the harshness of priests and religious of the day. The priest who would be given the harsh word, a confirmation, the little slap on the cheek. The nuns who always had the rulers on the hand ready to whack your knuckles. We've all heard the stories and sometimes we've been recipients of it maybe. But there's a recognition that in that time, God was an angry God at us. That there was a fierceness of him. That we were afraid of God. And it wasn't the fear of the Lord and wisdom. It was a fear of the Lord of, I don't want to die and go to hell. It's not really a love of the Lord, more as a fear of what he would do to us. In the 60s and the 70s, we experienced a pendulum swing in our understanding of God. At least practically in the life of the church. God went from being an angry God at us to one who could forgive anything and everything that we would do. And he would never tell us that we were bad. He would always forgive us. He would never ask us to change. He would never challenge us. He would never confront us. He was the nice, pleasant Jesus. The one who had the long, cool brown hair with the blonde highlights and a nicely manicured beard. Always smiling a little bit in the pictures, right? You could do no wrong, and Jesus certainly would never allow anyone to go to hell. Everyone goes to heaven now. 
So we have these two opposite pendulum swings of the understanding of God. But the Lord today shows us that rather than being an either or, he is the Catholic both and. That God is both fierce and angry and passionate, as well as loving, merciful, and forgiving. He's not one or the other, he's both. And at the same side, they're opposite sides of the same coin. And this is what we see in the scriptures. That our Lord comes to us, the Father comes to speak in our first reading today in the book of Exodus. And we hear the, the gift of the law. You heard that right, the gift of the law. Because it was a good thing for us to receive it. Because the human heart easily sways off to go away from the Lord. And so the Lord gave us the law. But one of the things interesting to note is that the Lord, he says to them, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. It would seem an unfitting description of the Lord for himself. When we think of jealousy, you kind of think that maybe Jesus just, he, you know, the, the, the Lord God, you know, he pitches a fit anytime he doesn't get his way. He whines and complains if we, if we don't do the right things. He's a jealous God. No, I, I don't want you to have joy anywhere else. I want you to just be with me all the time. But that's not the jealousy that the Lord has for us. The jealousy that God has for us is he wants us to be entirely given to him. Not a portion, but the whole. Not 90% given to the Lord and 10% given to whatever backup plan I have. Not 80% and 20% to my backup plan. He doesn't, want any, he doesn't want any portion of us. He wants everything of us, whole and entire, spirit, soul, and body. He doesn't want to be a slice of our life. He wants to be the cross that holds us together. He wants to be everything. He's a jealous God. He recognizes that quite often we give so much of ourselves to the Lord... But then we have a little insurance policy that we take out in the back. And we don't, really, we don't really publicize that too much. I will trust in the Lord. Lord, I will give you anything and everything. I will put everything out on the line. But if it doesn't work out, I've got plan B that I can fall back on. Right? We struggle to have faith in the Lord. And so we allow our backup plans to become our true Savior. Jesus just happens to be the first string. And he calls us and he says, this is not what I desire. I want you to give yourself to me whole and entire. I want your faith. I want your trust. I want your love. I want your joy. I want your sorrow. I want all of it. Come to me. He wants us not to be lukewarm. To be able to follow our Lord when it's convenient for us or when it feels good for us or when we get something out of the deal. He wants us to be all in. Come hell or high water, to be his. This is what the Lord desires. He's a jealous God. And he's jealous because he loves us. He created us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows how we find peace. And he longs for us to have it. He knows that the only way for us to have peace in this world, even a taste of it, and ultimately to have the eternal peace that we long for, for which we were created, is to turn to him. And it kills him, literally his death on the cross, that we seek other things. And so he desires us to set aside those other things and to come and to find peace, real peace, 
lasting peace, enduring peace. Not a temporary happiness, not, wow, this day is a beautiful day, it makes me feel good, but a, a, a peace that goes before everything else. That even on the worst of days, we still have peace, we still have joy. That's what he wants for us. That's why he's a jealous God. In the gospel, we hear our Lord going into the temple, doing the cleansing of the temple. Something that was prophesied. That's why they asked for signs afterwards. Give us the signs for why you've done this, the cleansing. Right? They were looking for it at some point. But the Lord also gives us an example of the God who is very contrary to the nice, quiet, meek, and humble Jesus. Jesus is meek and humble of heart. At certain times, he needs to be. And at other times, he's angry. And rightly so. Jesus goes into the cleanse of the temple. And you have to recognize that he doesn't just do it as if it's a, a, a low-key, quiet, subtle thing. There's a video that I love to, to watch from time to time. It cracks me up. It's a, it's a, a movie of Jesus and the life of the disciples. But it's overdubbed with, with, uh, with words that make it not make sense. It's kind of, it's basically just a, a, a weird humorous thing. And the thing is, it shows the video of Jesus and he's throwing over tables and looking very angry visibly, but the audio is, there's that, there's that, there's that. And it sounds like Jesus is rather bored. He's just kind of, like he does, he's not too passionate. He's just kind of, there's that table, that one's flipped over, knocked over your coins, you know. When the reality is that Jesus comes in and he was angry. But he doesn't just go off in emotional anger. It's a righteous anger. He takes the time to make a cord of, of, to make a whip from the cords. It's not that Jesus just flies off the handle and loses himself. He, he recognizes that this is an injustice taking place. And he allows the, the righteous anger to come forth from his heart. And to go forth and to be shown and manifest in the cleansing of the temple. The nice, meek, humble Jesus likely raised his voice a little bit. This house is supposed to be a house of prayer, and yet you've made it a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a place where we can come and encounter God, and you made it into Walmart. This is not a flea market, y'all. Throwing over table, casting out sheep and oxen, casting the money changers off to the side. The money, who cares about all of these things? This place is supposed to be a place where we encounter God. And if that doesn't happen, we have failed. We've made the house of God a mockery. You can understand the righteous anger in Jesus. Because he loves us. He, he, he comes to lay down his life for us. He knows that in, in a not too distant future, he will climb upon a cross and die for us. For the simple fact of being able to allow people to encounter God. And that's what the temple was. is the dwelling place of God. This is a place of prayer. This is a place where people come to meet the Lord. And if they don't meet the Lord, they will never know him. And if they never know him, how can they know his peace? How can they know his love? How can they know his mercy? Jesus is fierce and angry and passionate because he loves us. Because he desires our good. Because he wants to show us mercy. They're not contradictory. They necessarily follow from one another. His passionate love allows him to pour out his mercy. And the great mercy and love that he has for us makes him at times become rather passionate to protect his bride, the church, to go to any length necessary to show his love. 
One of the great images of the church in the past few hundred years is that of the sacred heart of Jesus. I hope that many of you have an image of the sacred heart in your homes. We have one, I know, uh, the statue at St. Anne that many of you have seen and prayed with. But the sacred heart of Jesus is the, is the embodiment of this reality that Jesus is both passionate and loving. He's fierce and he's merciful. Because it shows his heart, his visible heart is shown. It's not just hidden inside and given to us in faith, right? It's shown to us and the heart is pierced because it's pierced for love of us. It shows that, that Christ will do anything for love of us to show us his love. Even to his death on the cross, that his heart might be pierced, that we might be able to enter into his heart. And find peace. So that heart is pierced with love for us. But it's also a heart that's on fire. It's on fire. It's engulfed in flames. Ready to consume anything that separates us from himself. To cast it out. No matter the cost to himself. He will do it. And so it's this fierce love that burns for us. That allows the Lord to come to us. To show himself to us. To lay down his life on the cross. To give us the Eucharist. To allow us to have the sacraments. To keep his grace. And ultimately to call us to heaven. His fierceness is his love. Every year on the March for Life we go to Washington D.C. And we go to the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. One of the things that we often have to do, or not often, always have to do, is to talk about one of the main images that the, that the youth will see when they walk into the church. Because if you don't understand it, you can terribly misinterpret it. <clears throat> They're over the altar. It's the largest church in America. They're over the altar, probably 75, 100 foot wide. Is a, is a mosaic of Christ. And he's not a smiley Jesus. Anybody that's seen it or there's a similar representation of Sacred Heart in Baton Rouge. It's not a pleasant Jesus to see. At least not initially. Jesus is there. He's got intensity in his eyes. He's got anger in his eyes. He's not smiling. He's rather got a, a, a mean face to him. He's about to destroy somebody it looks like. He's, he's got his hands up in the air. He looks like he's about to go Hulk on somebody. His muscles are ripped. And he's just, you can see the, the, the fiercity, the fierceness of the Lord in his image. And it would be easy for you to walk into the church and go, he is so angry at me. <laughs> the Lord, I mean, because of my sinfulness, the Lord clearly wants to kill me. He wants to crush me because no God will look at me like that. Why isn't he smiling? Why isn't he showing his love? Why isn't he showing his mercy? And we have to, to let the youth know that the reason the Lord looks as he does is because that's the love that he has for us. It's not, he's not angry at us. He's angry because of us. He's angry because he loves us. And he wants in his anger, his anger comes out because of that love to separate us from anything that separates us from him. He's angry at the world that pulls us away. He's angry at the devil who tempts us in so many ways. He's angry at sin that separates us from him. In all of these things, he comes with righteous anger to cast out, 
to come to the temple of our heart and cleanse there too, to throw over the temples of our heart, to cast out the birds and the ox and the asses that are there, the things that are just waiting to be sold, the, the marketplace of our soul. He comes there and he says, this is supposed to be a dwelling place of God. And he comes to cleanse us. He comes to set us on fire. Our Lord is passionate about us. And the only thing he wants, the only thing he wants is for us to be passionate about him. That's all. He calls us to perfection, yes. He calls us to holiness, yes. He calls us to do all of these things, you know, the the external action, service of our neighbor, all of that, yes. That's part of it. But the thing is that all of that flows, every bit of that flows from a love for Jesus Christ. Because if we do it not for love of Jesus Christ, but for what we gain out of it or anything else, we have our reward. And it's not him. He wants us to be passionate about him. When we go to pray, whether in church or at home or any other place, to pray with fervor in our hearts. It doesn't mean that every time we go pray, we have to be super passionate. We have to be, you know, intense about it. We have to be, you know, crying copious tears or any of these things. But to have a willingness in our heart to do anything and everything in that short time with the Lord. To love him a bit more. To be passionate about our prayer. To come to Mass and to pray the words... With intensity. To trust in the Lord. And not to allow the things that we say just to be, you know, words that come off the top of our head. Because we've memorized our lines in the script that is Mass. But to be able to mean it. A difficult thing, certainly. Because we say the same thing week after week often. But to allow the words that come from our lips at Mass to simply be an expression of the love in our hearts. Sing. I will, never har- I will never quit harping on singing in our parish because we can always sing more. This week I was reading a reflection and a line struck me. It struck me as true. It struck me that we need to allow it to infiltrate even more to the depths of our souls here in our parish. And it said, The heart that loves sings. The heart that loves sings. Any parent, I hope, has at least once or twice sung or hummed a lullaby to their child as they brought them to sleep. You don't care if you can't sing. You don't care you know, that the child's not going to judge you, right? You sing because you love them. It doesn't matter the age. You sing because you love them. The thing is that whenever we come to Holy Mass, we don't just sing to fill space. It's not that we have to do something when, you know, for, for Father in the procession to get from the back to the front of the church, so we might as well sing a song or something. It's a recognition that what we do is we come here to show our God our love for Him, to worship Him, to adore Him, to honor Him. And so we sing when we come in, not to ourselves, but to Him. We sing to Christ. Just as a mother or father sings to their child, we come and we sing with the love in our hearts to our Lord, our bridegroom. We, the bride, we sing for love of Jesus, who has done these things for us. Our Lord loves us with an intense love. 
The foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of this world. And the strength, the wisdom, the weakness of God is greater than human, any human strength. And the love of God, even the smallest of the amounts of love of God, is greater than anything we can understand and give in this life. And he gives it all for you and for me. And he simply wants to exchange the same in return. To give him our love. And so as we come to this Holy Mass, we give thanks to the Lord for his grace. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way that you have come to us in so many ways this week. We thank you for the ways that you have called us to yourself. We thank you for the love that you show for us, the mercy that you show to us, the passion that you have for us, and the fierceness of defending us from anything and everything that separates us from you. Lord Jesus, we ask that in this time we might be able to set aside all those things that we may cling to, the fears of this life, our worries, our anxieties, our concerns, our stresses, for being you our sorrows as well as our joys. We bring you our hearts, those hearts that have love for you. And we ask that you would take that little love that we have and continue to increase it. Let our hearts burn with love for you as yours burns with love for us. And let us share that love with everyone that we meet, that many might come to rejoice in the gift of your grace. Lord, you love us. Help us to love you.